spending some time in the book of Hebrews today. So if you get a chance to turn there in advance. <clears throat> you know, a while back, of course, we had the COVID experience. Uh, when Jesus talked about there being plagues in the end time, I'm sure COVID was one of the ones he was referring to. It turned out to be so much bigger than any of us thought. Uh, it provided challenges for the church. I'm not just talking about our congregation, but all congregations worldwide. I don't know if you realize it, but uh, when the government intervened and closed churches, our church was closed for probably about eight weeks, was it? I think it may have been eight weeks or so. In fact, when churches started to reopen, we were one of the first ones around these parts to reopen, which I was very happy about and uh, anxious to get back together to worship God. But uh, one of the negative things that, that happened at that time, of course, we had a governor who was quick to reopen churches. I uh, Speaking to some of my fellow pa uh, pastors in New York, do you realize that their churches were closed for up to a year? They were not allowed to have services of any kind in gatherings like that. So unfortunately what happened was when the churches closed, some of the people who used to attend the churches did not come back when they were reopened. Credited to people's fear of getting COVID, to one thing or another, whatever the case may be, but some churches, and actually a large percentage of them, had to totally close for good because they couldn't get enough people to come back to worship at church worship services. So not only did a percentage of Christians just not ever come back, but some churches had to close because of that. And some churches went bankrupt because of that because they didn't have enough money to pay their rent or their mortgage or whatever the case may be. So it, it was a blow against some church congregations. And uh, to this day, there are people who have not come back. Some just choose to stay home. And for some of the churches that have video services broadcast or whatever, uh, some are content to do that now. Some have switched to maybe watching some televangelists on TV. Uh, it's not quite the same. There's nothing like being here live and in person and interacting with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's, I think, a certain way that the Holy Spirit works here and in all churches when brethren meet together. Amen. And that's lacking now. I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, and as we do that, let's uh, pray. Lord, as we open your word, we seek encouragement, we seek correction, we seek, seek inspiration from you, as always happens when we read your word. And uh, we just pray that you help us all to see what problem may exist, not only in the lives of some people who are Christians, but maybe even in our life and what you desire of us and how you want us to change and perhaps see things differently. So we pray you send the Holy Spirit here to open our eyes and our minds and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. 
The author of Hebrews, and we don't know exactly who it is, many think that it was the Apostle Paul, but he doesn't sign this letter or mention his name in it. So we do know that whoever wrote this letter wrote it to Hebrew Christians, people who had come out of the background of uh, Judaism uh, and the old covenant teachings. And now they're Christians, and the author is trying to encourage them along those lines. And he brings out some examples from the Old Testament as well. But this is what he says in Hebrews 2, verse 1, speaking to Christians now. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. And what have we just heard? Well, we didn't hear it, but in chapter 1, it was all about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done. In uh, chapter 1, verse 1, he starts off by saying in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom, whom he made the universe. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and so on and so forth. So the subject in chapter 1 is Jesus and how important he is to each and every one of us and what he's done for us. So now chapter 2, verse 1, he says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, all about Jesus, so that we do not drift away. So that we do not drift away. And you know what? We all know people that this has happened to. They've drifted away. They're not here. We don't know where they are in some cases. There's no sense of urgency in their spiritual life, whether it was COVID and all the drama and death involved with COVID, if, if that was it, or if it was something else. There's no sense of urgency in their spiritual life, no vigilance, no focused listening or considering or fixing their eyes on Jesus. And the result has not been standing still, but drifting away. And he warns us in chapter 2, verse 1, be careful that you don't drift away. So we've witnessed it. Over the past several years, not only we, but all churches have witnessed this, of Christians drifting away. That's the point here. If you're not fully active in the church and involved in your Christian life, there's no standing still. What's going to happen if you try to stand still, you're going to be drifting away. You know, this Christian walk that we're in, this journey is continual movement toward Jesus Christ. We're all on that journey, and our goal is to get closer and closer to him. But when you're not getting closer to him, you're not standing still, you're actually falling away. Living in a fallen world is not like a calm lake. It's a river flowing downward to destruction. So if you try to stand still, you're actually headed in the wrong direction, okay? I like to use the example of, we're not too far from the Niagara River. You know, Lake Erie flows along 
Lake Ontario flows along, but in the middle there, there's the Niagara Falls. Now, if you're in the Niagara River, you know, there's nothing like bobbing in the river. You know, whenever my wife and I used to go to water parks, we'd like to get on their version of the Lazy River. And they'd have this river there in the, in the park, and you'd get a big uh, inner tube. And you'd plop yourself down on this inner tube and just merrily coast along down this river, and you're just enjoying yourself. You're enjoying the sun, but, you know, there's a current with this little lazy river. And it goes all around this long path, and you just kind of bob along and get sprinkled on a little bit. It's very enjoyable and relaxing. But you know what? If you find yourself in the Niagara River, there's actually a current to that river. And you're going to move along down this river. You could be in an inner tube and be trying to relax, but all of a sudden you start to hear this roar up ahead. And the current picks up. And I found out that just when the Niagara River gets to the falls, you're picked up to about 25 miles an hour because the current has gotten stronger. And as you hear this roar ahead, you find out eventually that it's the Niagara Falls and you're going over. And you see sometimes somebody gets stuck out there and rescuers are trying to, to get a hold of this person and save them from going over the falls. That's what this world is like. It's headed to the falls. It's headed to destruction. So that's why I say, if you're not actively involved in this journey as a Christian, you kind of let yourself drift out into the world, you're not standing still. You're going downhill fast and in the wrong direction. Drifting is a deadly thing in the Christian life with dire consequences. If you don't listen earnestly to Jesus, as he admonished us here in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, if you're not listening earnestly to Jesus, if you're not involved with him in your life, if you're not studying his word, if you're not worshiping him regularly, if you're not hearing his word preached, if you don't do all of these things, you fix your eyes on him hourly, then you will not stand still. You will drift. And you can drift away from your faith. Staying focused and in touch with our Savior is not a hard job. This is not a hard job that God has given us to do on this Christian journey. It's just so easy to get distracted from it, to lose your focus and fall into spiritual slumber. The longer you drift, the harder it is to find your way back. You know, you miss services for a short time due to sickness or something like that. Your goal is to make your way back. But sometimes people just kind of lose focus on their own. And the, the longer you're away, the harder it is to come back. You just kind of take life easy and find a lot of things to do on Sundays besides worshiping God. But we're not just regular people out in the world. In uh, Peter, chapter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10, I believe that's 2 Peter 2, 9 and 10, God tells us that we're different. We're very much different from the people in the world. It's 1 Peter 9, verse 10. He says, but you are a chosen people. You're different. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Once you were not a people, like the people out in the world right now, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, which means we can't live our lives the way people in the world live. We're different. We have a special calling that God has given us. And through that calling, he has saved us from death by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So this is what God expects of us. He expects us to act differently, to be aware of who Jesus is, to worship him on a regular basis, to be involved in your Christian walk. You know, you come up with uh, questions, as said in the video, doubts or things like that, and you go to where you can find the answers in God's word. And if you don't know where the answers are, we've got a plenty of longtime Christians here that you can ask, including me, and we can help you, we can guide you. That's why we're all here as a group, to encourage one another <clears throat> and to help one another along this journey that we're all in together. But here in Hebrews, the author of this book is warning Christians about the dangers of lethargy, laziness, and distractions which are all around us. So we who have a Christian calling, we who have come under the grace of Jesus Christ, God expects different of us. And I want to uh, look at, just kind of skim through this real quickly and see some of the other things that he sends and warns us about. Hebrews chapter two, as we were reading, we'll read on a little further here. Hebrews two, beginning in verse two, again, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, he's talking about the old covenant, when the law was given to Moses, and that was a very binding law, he says, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? And we know what the old covenant was about. It was about blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. We're now involved in a relationship with God that involves our eternal life. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the grace that we've come under, we're dealing with our eternal life here. Not just good weather in season and uh, you know, good crops and health for the animals. This covenant that we're in with God goes much deeper. So we can't ignore, ignore this salvation that we have come under. It's meant to be something that's on our mind on a daily basis contact with God on a daily basis, regular worship of God, because he's our savior, he's our God and king. He says, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord, the old covenant, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, and new covenant as well, because Jesus Christ started teaching about it. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the new covenant, our agreement with God, started with Jesus, the teaching of Jesus and others, and the Holy Spirit, of course, played an important role in that. It's important. It's vital for us on a regular basis. We can't drift from it. 
And you know what? People get sidetracked. They're Christian, but they're so involved in things of the world uh, that there's no time for God. No time for regular worship of Him. No time for involvement with other Christians and encouraging and guiding each other along the way. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. You know, sometimes when you run into a person that maybe used to be a part of your congregation, you run into them in the store or someplace else, some sporting activity, and it's kind of awkward at first because you're thinking, you know, this person used to be with us. How'd they get sidetracked? What happened? You know, and a lot of times they don't want to talk about it. And like I said, it's just an awkward meeting. But you wish that they were back with us. You hope that they're still pursuing their Christian calling. Of course, it's between God and them when you come right down to it. In uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, that's us, along with other church congregations, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Don't become so sidetracked on anything from your cell phone to the internet to whatever. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful to all God's house. So here's this comparison of Jesus and Moses, but Jesus is the new and improved Moses, the better Moses, if you will. Moses was just human. Jesus was the son of God, both fully God and fully man. Verse 3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, and this is the message for us here who hear this message today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. So he's comparing these new Hebrew Christians and reminding them of what Old Testament Israel went through at the time of the Exodus. They came out in glory, being saved from slavery in Egypt. And what did they do? They got into the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and they rebelled. They got into a bad attitude and continually bothered God with their rebellion. It says, the desert where your fathers tested and tried me, God speaking, and for 40 years saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest, which at the time was the promised land that they were headed toward. So, you know, God was bringing them out of uh, Egypt in the Exodus. They were headed straight across the wilderness to the promised land. Because of their rebellious attitude, they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years. God was taking them on a, a circular course, a holding pattern. And finally, their attitude didn't change, and they finally, he finally said to them, there's no way this whole generation is getting into the promised land. And they all died in the wilderness, except for two people, Joshua and Caleb. 
They alone entered the promised land. Not even Moses was able to enter it. So he says, see to it, verse 12, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And we can fall into the same trap today. We can just get so overwhelmed by distractions. We don't have time for God anymore. Yeah, I used to go to that church, but I don't know what happened. It was COVID or something and just never got back with it. He says in verse 13, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's one of the great things about church. It's one of the things you certainly don't get by watching church on TV in your pajamas in bed. Being able to encourage one another. Being able, you know, when we see somebody is down, when somebody is discouraged for whatever reason, you're there for them. You're there to offer whatever you can, whatever help you can for them. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence that we had at first. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. We can, you know, come short of what God's expectations are of us just by allowing us to not stay focused, to not be concerned, to not realize that this is something vital for each of us that we're involved in now and just kind of put it aside. Let's turn to uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He continues on with, with the warnings and just telling Christians, stay sober. Don't give up hope. Don't let up. We're on this continued journey to Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest, now in the Old Testament, it was the promised land. To us, it's God's kingdom. It's our change and transformation to eternal life with Jesus when he returns. The promise of entering his rest still stands. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. It says, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. Because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. So, the warning still stands. Some in the church are in danger of not finishing the race. Sometimes we forget that the race that we're in, a lot of times Paul describes it as a race, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a lifelong race, a lifelong journey. And there can never come a time where we let up or we give up. Or we say, you know what, this, this is too difficult now. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. It's much more comfortable to stay home on a Sunday, Sunday and watch something in bed with my pajamas on. So some had become so negligent and careless in their spiritual walk that they had no godly fear about what was at stake in their daily lives. They were just drifting along with the cell phone of the world in their ears, feeling secure while God's messenger was crying out from the shore that Niagara Falls is ahead and judgment is approaching. 
So it is, it is easy to get distracted today. It is easy to find that, boy, it's been a long time since I got my Bible locked and read, you know, or maybe it's a long time that I've missed church services, haven't worshiped God as, as I really should be doing with my brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are like-minded with me, those who have the same Holy Spirit that I have. There's a connection that's missing in my life. And then before you know it, people are discouraged, depressed. They're having a lot of problems in their life. They don't know the, the cause why. And maybe God is just trying to wake them up, get them to be alert again, get them to be involved again. Let's turn in chapter 5 here, beginning in verse 11. Now, as I'm saying, this author of this book is continue, continuing to encourage his audience. He's trying to wake them up, get back with it. But we can all take a certain amount of this to ourselves as a reminder of how serious this is, what we're involved in here. We're headed toward eternal life. When we were baptized, we repented of our sins and accepted Jesus as our Savior. We can't just forget about all that that means. You know, all of us as pastors have had people over the years that maybe we can remember individually that we were baptized. We baptized them and basically never saw them again. And if you put me on the spot, I wouldn't know what has now happened to some of those people. But even though explaining to them and counseling them, saying, hey, listen, this is not the end. This is not the goal being baptized, it's the beginning. It's the first step on a lifelong journey with God. And it's gonna last forever because it's gonna take you right into eternity with him. But they thought that just being baptized itself was the goal. And now that's done, you know. Mission, mission accomplished, no. <laughs> you got a lifetime ahead of you. And you got a whole bunch of brothers and sisters to encourage you along the way and to guide you along the way, and to pray for you along the way. That's what the church is all about. He says in verse 11 of Hebrews 5, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Now, you know, I'm learning from this too. This is not a, a fire and brimstone sermon by any means. But we're reading these verses so we can all learn in our own personal lives what we need to do. He says, you need milk, something that babies drink, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, <laughs> is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, spiritually mature. Mature Christians who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So we come into the church and we all need milk because we're Christian newborns. But as the months and the years go by, we need to start eating more solid food for the mature. Why? Because we need to be maturing. That's what this Christian life is about. You start as a spiritual newborn and you turn in as time goes by into a mature Christian. And how does that happen? Because you're practicing your walk with Jesus. Okay, your, your nose is in his word. You're here uh, singing praise to him. 
And as we do that, what happens is we start to mature as Christians. And maybe, you know, when you come into the church, you need answers on basic, simple questions. How can God live forever? You know, what does that mean? And how can God be a trinity? Well, that's a pretty deep question in and of itself. But the longer we're around, we're learning more, and maybe some of our questions go deeper. And that's great, because that's what it's all about maturing as Christians. It's not baptism and done, it's a lifelong time. So the more you study, the Bible is interesting. The more you don't study, the Bible is uninteresting. Some of these people, their desire for the teaching and preaching of God's word was fading, and that can happen too. That's why we all need to get our nose back in the Bible. The energy to think and ask questions about the most important questions in the world was seeping away from these people. And in its place was a kind of spiritual sluggishness and insensitivity. Things of the world were becoming more exciting and attractive than the word of God and the greatness of his salvation. So some can lose their zeal to press on in their Christian life to maturity. But that is what God has called us to do. He says in chapter six, verse one, therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of what is repentance and uh, faith and so on. Build on that, continue moving forward. And he says in verse three, and God permitting, we will do so. That's what we've been called to do. And that's what we need to be doing. And if you don't do that, and if Jesus is not continually on your mind, and you're not worshiping him on a regular basis, and if you're not reading scriptures about him, some can lose that zeal and kind of fade. But, you know, he ends with encouragement. And that's what I want to read now. Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 9. Now, you know, he's talking to Christians, and he remembers that, and I'm talking to Christians, and I remember that as well. So let's read here in uh, 6, 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. Verse 10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And that's what we want to happen to everybody. It's just a wake-up call saying people get distracted. People can become deeply distracted, and they can get to the point where they feel comfortable with that lifestyle. And all of a sudden, the importance of relationship with God fades away. Remember what uh, Jesus said to the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation. talks about finding the love that you once had. Because somehow I got lost in all of the enthusiasm you had when you first became a Christian. And uh, for many of us here, we know the enthusiasm we had. We used to have a 66 course correspondence course that we all had to go through as we were becoming new Christians. 
And some people still have those con uh, correspondence courses that they filled out at the time. And they, you know, wanted to study more and more and more, and it became addictive to learn as much about the Bible as we possibly can. So I'm thankful that we have a group that has that zeal, and we just need to remember never to lose it. No longer how long you've been in the church, no matter how old you might get. That enthusiasm is still necessary. One last scripture in Hebrews 13. Again, a scripture of encouragement. And he says this. Chapter 13, verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as you were there, as if you were there fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. It reminds us about marriage. Marriage should be honored by all. Never lose sight of that. And the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So all these things that you learned through the years as Christians, nothing has changed. This is still what God expects of you and requires of you. So be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In verse 9, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Because there always have been and always will be strange teachings, even tied in with Christianity out there in the world. you got to test these things and make sure that they're true. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by things like ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. Notice in verse 15. Therefore, Jesus, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Not only church services, but our lives are to be living sacrifices. The fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. He says, obey your leaders and be subject to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Finally, verse 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> so it's a corrective book. The author of Hebrews can see a problem in his day, and I think the same problem exists today. And it was worsened and highlighted by the COVID epidemic. And who knows what else is coming down the road. But with this diminishing of many Christians in their relationship to God and their relationship to, their, to the church. You know, the table is being set for things ahead. 
And we heard a sermon a couple of years ago here. I gave a two-part sermon on this individual that's supposed to come on the scene called the man of sin. The Apostle Paul talked about it in the Epistle of Thessalonians, where there's going to be somebody come on the scene, kind of a false Christ, somebody who's even able to perform miracles, who's going to deceive many. And you know what? When the strength of Christianity in people's lives is diminishing, that's setting the table for this guy to come on the scene and fool a lot of people and deceive a lot of people. It says it's going to be such a powerful thing that he's going to do that even Christians would be deceived if that were possible. So don't be a Christian whose faith has diminished, who has drifted away, because it's going to hit you. You're going to be fooled too. And that's when we have to draw closer to Jesus every day and continue to hear his word preached and explained and to be led in prayer, to be led in everything that we do here. So it's a warning, just as he gave it to this group, I give it to you, and I give it to myself for that matter. Let's be on guard and to realize that Christianity is not a baptism and you're done. It's a lifelong journey with Jesus and you're ever growing closer to him. Your relationship is becoming more intimate with him and that's what God will have for us. Well, we're going to have our communion service now. So as uh, we get the table prepared, we're reminded why Jesus set this up at the Last Supper. It's a means, a physical means, for each of us to kind of come back and rededicate ourselves to our covenant with him. He said that that wine, the fruit of the vine, represents the blood of the new covenant. So what we do when we come up here and take the cup, we're recommitting ourselves to the new covenant that we became a part of when we were baptized, when we repented and were baptized. And the bread, of course, represents the broken body of Jesus. Why is it so important to keep this relationship with him on fire? It's because of what he went through so that it can be possible to enter into this relationship with him. He gave up his body and blood on the cross so that we can be a part of this. How could we ever take it lightly? And how can we ever drift away from it? This relationship that we're in with Jesus is going to last forever. Let's keep that in mind. Let's pray now. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to the table, we want to make a statement to you. We know that these symbols were created by Jesus, and it's a simple reminder to us of what our relationship with you is all about. It's because of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus that we can even know you, that we can even have the blessing of your grace and forgiveness, and that we can live with you for all eternity. That's what these things represent. So as we come to the table here, we're showing you we want to be dedicated. We want to live the life that you want us to live. You know we're not perfect, and you know that we sin on a regular basis, but we know that it's all covered by your grace, and it's forgiven. So, Father, we ask your blessing as we come to the table now, and we just want to remind you that we are your people. You are our shepherd, and it will be like that forever. So we pray this now and give you thanks in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.